Well, I was out of town for the last 10 days. I'm still under the effect of jet lag after being away 10 hours difference. And uh, so if I make no sense whatsoever, or if I say something that is not coherent, blame jet lag. Um, you're used to it, yeah. <laughs> At least today I have an excuse. Um, I've traveled quite a bit over the years, and uh, you know, when you go to the airport, they make you take your shoes off and your belt and your jacket, and uh, they make you open your bag and take your computer out. But I had never gone through such level of scrutiny as I did this last time. If you fly on El Al, that's the, uh, the line uh, that belongs to Israel, the level of questioning before going on the plane goes beyond anything that I've ever experienced before. They asked how many people were in our group, where we were from, how we knew each other. And I was traveling with 32 people and half of them I have never seen before. They asked me if I knew anybody from uh, the Middle East, from Jordan, anybody who spoke Arabic. They asked me what I did for a living, what, where, where I lived. They asked me the reason where I was, why I was going there and what places I was going to visit. The only time that I felt more, un more uncomfortable asking, answering questions was when I defended my doctoral dissertation. And I thought it was all done once they told me, go ahead and gave me my boarding pass. But on the way back, you figure, I'm leaving. But they asked me a similar line of questions. So I asked myself, why are they asking me all these questions if I'm leaving your country? But the problem was that I wasn't leaving the country. The problem was that I was getting, getting on their airplane. And they do not trust anybody. They don't trust anybody and they believe, they live under the assumption that anybody at any time could come on their airplane and try to do something bad. Today... We're going to talk about trust. And, and you know, we, we, we all suffer from lack of trust. At some point in time, you heard the expression, the check is in the mail. If you remember when you were little and you were going to get that vaccination, that shot, and the nurse said, oh, it's not going to hurt. Or my favorite don't worry about it. But you know that we, when we hear those things, we worry about it. It hurts a lot. And the check never arrives. So we learn. We, we, we are unfortunately accustomed. We, we've been taught to mistrust. Fortunately, we have a God who offers evidences that we can trust in Him. If you get your notes out, come with me to Psalm 33, verse 4. 
That's a blue sheet of paper that you got with the bulletin. Psalm 33, verse 4. I'm reading today from the New King James Version, and, and it says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. These are powerful, powerful words. Because this text tells us three things that become attributes of God. The first one is that God cannot do wrong. God cannot do wrong because He is just. In fact, our Bibles use the word righteousness. You've read that before? You've heard that before? It uses the word righteousness. And what righteousness means is just the ability to every time a decision has to be made, the choice is the correct one. It's not just the correct one, but it's the one that is not the better one, that is not the most beneficial, it's not the politically correct one, it's just the correct one. It's the right one. And God always, always makes the right decision. That is why He can do no wrong. The second thing that we learn about God, family, is that God cannot tell a lie because He is holy. Now that speaks to His purpose. Because see, everything that God does, everything that God says, is exactly what is needed. Nothing more, nothing less. He doesn't hide details. He doesn't give any more explanation than what is needed. Because you know, we get in trouble when we speak more than we should. And oftentimes, we don't want everybody to know everything. But see, God says everything that is needed. And that is why He does not lie. Because God cannot tell lies. And the third thing is that God cannot break His promises because He is faithful. The reason why God does not break His promises is because His nature is love. And when you love someone, you don't break your promises to that person. Back when I was little and my dad had a, a, a business of importing things from Texas into Mexico, I remember that he would travel and go to, to, to leave Mexico City and, and go to Texas to get the items that he was importing. But every time he left, he would always promise to bring me something back. I remember when it was the time, it was the day, I knew he took three days, and on the third day, I was standing outside the, outside the door of our house, waiting for my dad to come. I knew that the taxi was coming, and drop him off at the corner of the house, and I knew that my dad was coming to bring that thing that he promised to bring me. And let me tell you, that over the years when my dad did that, he always came back on time. If my dad did it 
I can trust that my God can too. Because my heavenly Father loves me way more than my earthly Father. So, knowing these attributes of God, let's read Joshua 21, 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Let's read that again, just in case you missed it. Not a word, you hear that? Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the household of Israel. All. You know what all means in Hebrew? All. All came to pass. Everything happened. Everything happened. One of the places that I got to visit was not in Israel. was in the country of Jordan. In Jordan, as they divided the countries, contains one of the cities of the area known in the New Testament as Decapolis. Decapolis was a city on the southern part of the, of the Galilean Sea. And uh, Decapolis is known because there were ten cities. Deca means ten. Polis means city. So there were 10 cities, and one of these cities was the city of Jerash. Jerash, to the day, basically everything remains. The, the layout of the city is still there. The gate is still there. This is the, the, the plaza of the commerce. This was the mall. Every two pillars, there was a, a, a different uh, shopping stand. So people came daily to this plaza, and it's, it's a complete circle, uh, and people came there. You could actually see the amphitheater. You can still see the temple to, to, to uh, Diana. You can actually see every single part of the city in the ruins that are left. The gate coming into the city was built in, 19, in 129, but for the celebration of, of the emperor Hadrian who came to the city because this was known as the city of Hadrian. Funny thing is this. 700 years before, in a land far away from there in Babylon, Daniel had already predicted that the Roman Empire was going to end. Today, all that remains for this, from the city of the Roman Emperor Hadrian is empty pillars. Because not a word given to Israel failed. Everything, everything came to pass. Today, family, I'd like to tell you one thing. That not a word, not a promise that is given to us by our God is going to fail. Because He's given us promises. He's given us the assurance that we can trust in Him. And the first assurance that we learned this morning that God has given us is that I can depend on God to forgive my sin. I can depend on God to forgive my sin. 
Now, you've heard me talk about forgiveness of sin quite a bit, right? Right? And you know why I do it? Because we're still sinning. We are. We are. Our greatest need, our greatest need as humans is forgiveness. That is the reason why Jesus came to this earth, to forgive our sins. So that is our greatest need. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we, and now, let me tell you, every time we read a text and starts with the word if, has to do with us. If we confess our sins, He, you see this capital H? That is God. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness works quite differently today than how it was in the time of the Bible. In the time of the Bible, the evidence of being forgiven was clear, was, was, was practical, was visual. Because the sinner would come to the temple and would carry, according to, to his or her sin, would carry that, that, that animal, that offering, the dove or, or, or the lamb, you know. And, and you know, if a little sin, well, you brought a dove. And you were in line waiting there for the priest to sacrifice it. And you know, people were standing in line with their animal according to their, to their sin, to their sacrifice. Can you imagine those who brought their big old goat? Can you imagine that? Hey, what are you here for? Uh, um, I got a goat. I just got a dove. But see, it was practical because you know that once that animal was sacrificed, your sins were forgiven. Today is a little bit different. Because we don't have to bring an animal to be sacrificed. Now, and just the fact that an animal had to be sacrificed, let me tell you how that process went. You brought your animal, and the priest would not kill the animal. The priest will hand you the knife for you to kill the animal. If you've never, ever, ever killed an animal, if you love animals that, that you don't even wear leather or are not vegan, you have to kill that animal. Just the fact that you have to hold a knife and slit the throat of the animal was a terrible thing. Aren't you glad that today we can come to Jesus and forgive and, and confess our sin to be forgiven? Now, the Bible tells us that if we confess, He is faithful. We confess, He forgives. Very simple. There's no science to it. We confess, He forgives. Now, somebody said, well, if God knows everything, why do I have to confess? Well, see, this information of confession is not for God. It's for you. See, it's not like one day you're praying, you're confessing your sin at night, and you're saying, God, this is what I did today, and God goes, no way, I didn't know that. See, that never happens. That never happens. God knows everything, but see, it's not for Him. It's not to reveal information to God. It's for you 
to understand that you have sinned. And that you are humble enough, as we learned last week, that God is willing and ready to forgive your sin. But sometimes, uh, we don't confess right away. In fact, we don't even trust that our sin has been forgiven. We doubt that we have been forgiven. Have you ever prayed more than once, once to forgive one sin? That, that's just our, that is our problem. Because see, if we confess honestly, God faithfully will forgive us. But we, we don't trust that we've been forgiven. In fact, oftentimes we bargain with God. God, if you forgive me this time, I promise, pinky promise, I'm not going to do this again. Or sometimes we try to bribe God for our forgiveness. You know, if you forgive me, I promise this month I'll give 20% of my tithe. And other times we just beg. God, please, 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 please forgive me. But see, the Bible tells us that all we have to do is confess. Confess. Just admit it. And God is faithful to forgive. So what is the first evidence? I can depend on God. To forgive my sin. The second evidence is that I can depend on God to give me guidance. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart? Just a piece? 50%? 80%? That's all. All right. And what does all mean in Hebrew? Okay, you learned something. You see? All. And lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Life is composed of the decisions that we make. And every day, every day, we have to make decisions. We wake up in the morning, and we have to make a decision at what time I'm getting up. In fact, that decision you made it the night before when you set up the alarm. The alarm sounds, goes off, and you have to make a decision. Do I stop it or do I press snooze? And you know after you press snooze like three, four times, you have to make another decision. Now I'm late. Do I take a shower or do I just go like this? And you get up. And as you're putting your, 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 your Pop-Tart and the, and, the, and the toaster because you're late for work, you take it as you're getting dressed and you go in the car with the Pop-Tart in your mouth and, oh, I forgot to pray. And that you pray in the car for the Pop-Tart and for protection because you're driving in your car. But then there's a yellow light and you know you're late. You have to make a choice. Do I stop or do I take it? I know where your heart is. But see, whatever choice you make, every decision that we make in life, listen well, every decision that we make in life will bring consequences. If you make the right choice, the consequences will be good. 
If we make the wrong choice, I guarantee you, the consequences will not be as good. Because when you pass a red light, you know there's going to be a, a car with the lights on. It's not going to be the truck that Alan showed us. Because every decision that we make will bring consequences. If we have a God that knows the end from the beginning, who has been there, who knows what's ahead, and whose word has never failed because he even said 700 years before things happened, happened. The greatest waste that humanity has done is not trusting on the guidance of God. You know, that is so peaceful. It is such a comforting thought to know that you know exactly where you're going. I love technology. I love it. But even as accurate and as handy and helpful as it is, I mistrust it sometimes. See, I have an app in my phone that tells me when I'm going to board a plane, which gate the plane is going to be, at what time I have to board, and all the information that I need. In fact, all I need is to put my phone on top of the thing, and I go in the plane. But every time I see that, I see it before I go in the airplane. I see it before I go in the airport. I check in before. On my way to the airport, I'm checking in. But as I'm walking in the airport, I'm going to the gate that my phone is telling me, I still stop at the, at the screens. And I check if my plane is still on that gate. And I'm walking and I find the next screen and I check, I check if my plane is still at that gate. Oh, it's happened to me many times that I get to the place where the gate is, I see the screen and there's another, another flight. And then I have to go find where. And then once I find it, once I walk to the other side of the airport and I get there, then my phone changes. Or but once you get there and you see the flight number, you see the right time, there is a peace. Because you know that where you're going, the plane that you're taking, and the time that you're leaving, it's the right, the right, the right one. God is saying, I know where you're going. I know where you need to do. I have the path drawn out for you. If you allow me to be your guidance, you'll get there. You'll find the way. And you'll arrive safely because you can trust that I can give you guidance. The third thing, that, 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 the third, third assurance that God gives us is that I can depend on God to settle the score. Has anybody suffered by somebody else's doing? Of course not, not, not in this church. Right? In all of us, there's always been the thought of 
oh, he's going to get it. Oh, he's going to pay for that. But see, this is what the Bible says. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if this is a matter of getting even, if this is a matter of revenge, I asked, who's going to do a better job, me or God? Just a thought. So if God is saying, whoever has done wrong to you, to you who, whatever bad has happened to you, I can do a way better job than, do, than, than you taking care of that business. So in fact, I have no business practicing revenge because God is willing to do the job for me. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was revealed, did not reveal in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. If you haven't seen it yet, Paul right now in Romans is telling us exactly what happened when Jesus was unjustly trialed and unfairly punished. And he is saying that even though he was perfect, even though he had no sin, and even though he had the power and the ability to take revenge in that particular moment, he chose not to. He chose to trust and his father to avenge him. Now, if God can do a way better job than me on revenge, and if Jesus, who was perfect, trusted on his father to avenge him, what business do I have thinking that I can do a better job so God is saying, family, my ears shrunk over the trip. You, you know, crazy thing, crazy thing. Let me tell you something. Now, this is one of my... Let me tell you, crazy thing. When you go down to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on dry land. It's, if I'm not mistaken, this is what I heard. Is 300 feet below sea level. I wear my watch. And, and it's pretty snug. As we were going down to the Red Sea, my watch was super big. It was so loose. Because all the pressure going down below sea level, it's right on you. In fact, when you come out, you feel like relief. Like now you can breathe like, ah. It is amazing. It is amazing. Amazing. When I try, when I try to do what God can do, I carry a weight 
that I should not be carrying. I, in fact, I go lower than where I should go because what God wants me to be, where God wants me to be, it's high with Him. And when I, when I allow God to do His part and I don't take His place, there's no weight, there's no pressure on me. He takes care of it all. Because He's promised that He can settle the score for me. Another evidence that we can trust in God is that I can depend on God to remember my service. Let me tell you why I'm sharing this with you. Because all of us, at one point, at home, at work, in church, we've thought about this. Well, I'm doing all this and nobody really cares. Man, I thank you every once in a while would be nice. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, don't tell me. But, but, but you know, we all of us, at, at some point, especially when you work really hard for something and, 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 you know, we don't feel appreciated. But see, God is not blind to that. God sees everything. And oftentimes we think, well, why bother? Why bother? Maybe you're at home and, and you've been working hard for, to prepare dinner. And, 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 you know, you spend hours after coming back from, from work, from driving in the freeways. And, and you come home and, and, and rush to get the kids and, and, and prepare the meal and you set it up. And then at the end, all you got at the end of dinner was a pile of dirty dishes. And in fact, your kid said, oh, this again? And you ask yourself, you know, you, you say, why bother? Why? Or, you know, you've been doing that job. You've been working at that company, at that school, at that hospital for 20, 30 years. And you've been diligently getting there on time and doing more than what is required. But because that is you, that is the Christian ethic of work that you have. But, you know, it was a bad day. People treat you bad. Your boss didn't acknowledge you. And you come back and you're in the freeway. You're mad. In fact, you're blowing your horn because the freeway stopped. And you get home and you're thinking, you know, I'm going to quit. I, I don't need to be there. I don't like these people anyway. But, you know, God sees your heart. God knows your effort. Because everything that we do, God sees. He sees your efforts. He sees your intentions. He sees your, he sees your motives. He sees your passion and He understands that. Because see, when Jesus came, He came with all the passion in the universe to die for every single one of us. But the Bible says that to His own He came, but His own Received him not. Jesus didn't say, oh, forget it. These guys, man, I'm here dying for them and look at them. You know a crazy thing? When you're in Jerusalem and you're, you come out to that street that we know as the Via Dolorosa. You know, that's the street where Jesus marched after he was judged. Carrying the cross. The whole street... It's a marketplace leading to the Damascus Gate. It's a marketplace. 
And you hear the voices. And you hear the people trying to sell their products. And this is an even crazier thing. That part of the city is on the Muslim side of Jerusalem. People who don't even believe that Jesus died for their sins. And while I'm standing right in the corner, I'm thinking, it hasn't changed at all. It hasn't changed one bit from the time that Jesus marched on this street. People still are not grateful enough to understand that Jesus came to die for them. This is the city of Jerusalem from the view of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a place where Jesus, from where Jesus ascended. In fact, there is a place there that is called the Ascension Rock. But it's also the place right next to that, that rock is the Olive Garden. And this is not the restaurant. This is the place where Jesus went to pray, Gethsemane. When Jesus, after Jesus prayed, he went back into the city. And you can see, let me see if we can uh, make this work. Right there, you see that little tower? That is called the Golden Gate. That is the entrance that leads right into the place that used to hold the temple where Jesus was unjustly tried. Today, that gate is closed. In fact, the gate looks like this. Whoa, where's my gate? I want my gate. There. Let me tell you something about this gate. For 1,400 years, the Muslims took control of the city. And knowing that the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come and give them freedom, they sealed the gate. They closed it. It sealed. In fact, let me tell you something very interesting. Oh, my goodness. There. This side, on the side of the Mount of Olives, is a cemetery that belongs to the Jews. The most Orthodox Jews bury their dead there. In fact, they charge a minimum of $50,000 for people to be buried there. Something interesting about this is that every tomb is made out of construction rocks because they believe, they believe that when the Messiah comes, those who are buried there will be the first ones to resurrect. So they are charged to go into the city through the golden gate and reconstruct the temple. So they already have the rocks right there. On the other side of the Kidron Valley, this is the Kidron Valley, on the other side right here is another cemetery. But this cemetery is a Muslim cemetery. And the reason why they put the cemetery there is because when the Jews resurrect and they try to march through the Kidron Valley into the Golden Gate, into the city, they would have to step on the tombs 
on the cemetery of the Muslims. And that means that according to the Bible, if you are near death, you are impure. So by being impure, you cannot reconstruct the temple. But family, let me tell you something. There's one little detail that they miss in this story. That the Messiah already went through that door on the day when he was proclaimed the son of David. The Messiah already went through that door and defeated dead because he was already outside of the city, crucified and resurrected. The Messiah already came through that door to give us the opportunity to trust because every word that comes from God will come to pass. Because He is faithful, because He is trustful, and because He gave us every single evidence to know that God can never fail. Because His love is perfect, His passion is perfect, and His desire to give you the life that He came to give when He died on the cross is still there for you. And He wants every single one of us not to wait on that gate to be opened, but to tell us that there's a gate in heaven that is greater than any of the eight gates of the city of Jerusalem. Because the heavenly city, the heavenly city is way greater than any hope that we could have on this earth. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what it is. Your trust issues might be in your house, might be in your work. Maybe you have problems trusting people because they failed you in the past. But let me tell you, the only way, the only way that you can understand the love that God has for you is when you allowed Him to be part of your life. Let them today, let Him today fight your battles. Let Him pick up what you couldn't go any longer. Let Him show you the way that you ought to go. Because He is the one that has the ability to open the door. He is the one that has the ability to destroy walls. He's the one that has the ability to build bridges where there's none. And He's the one that has the ability to mend hearts that have been broken. And He is the one that knows the path that you ought to take. And if today you need to take the first step to begin to trust on God, as I pray, I want to ask you to take it and to let the God that loves perfectly to fill your heart. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, there are no words that can describe your power. There are no words that can describe your passion for us. There are no adjectives that can enhance the plans that you have drawn for us. But Father, we are not able to see it 
because we haven't learned to trust in you yet. So today, I pray that you lift the weight of mistrust from our shoulders. That you give us the peace that we need today. That when we fail, that we were not acknowledged. That we feel the warmth of your embrace surrounding us. That when we feel that people had done wrong against us, that we feel your love in our lives, in our hearts. That when we feel that we don't know where to go, that we can hear your voice guiding us on the right direction. And that when we feel that we don't belong, that we remember that there is a God who calls himself our Father. And that the greatest family that we can belong to is a family of God. We thank you for Jesus because only through him all the promises can come through. And we thank you because today we can trust on Jesus. Help us to take the first step towards him. And as we take the first step, may our trust continue to grow until we become the people you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.